Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. This is your host, Paul Arnold. I'm joined with Ernest Watson. Ernest, last week we had our best podcast ever. I mean, we were so sharp. It was like we were 29 years old again. We had all the facts. We had all the figures. And then the lightning struck. And what happened, Ernest? It got wiped out. And we picked every game, every college game, every program. We not only picked the winners, we picked the 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 spread. I mean, it was amazing. I'll never, we'll never have a streak like that again. I know. It was like for one shining moment, we were perfect. And, of course, it didn't record it. Otherwise, we would, you know, play it and tell you how great we were. So here we are a week later, no thunderstorms, no Frankensteins being created here. Uh, we are just going to give you good old sports talk the way we know how to do it. Um, Ernest is down in Rockingham, North Carolina, and I'm up in Dexter, Michigan. And I started this whole podcast a year and a half ago by having the whole idea that I would talk to my friends across America. And I had a friend in Colorado. I still have a friend in Colorado. He still talks. Right, to he's me. not a friend anymore. Yeah, he's still a friend. He's, he's, he's still a friend. I done. I know. And then Ernest is down in North Carolina. And then I have Eric in Houston. And then I have Nate in, in Connecticut. And then my own son is here in Michigan. And so I was saying we span the globe. We cross the country talking about sports. And uh, we had fun with that for a while. And then we realized it was funner when we had at least three people on the podcast just to sort of keep each other in check and hopefully come up with something entertaining by the time that we were done. And so all that being said is tonight, it's just Ernest and I, like the good old days, like the odd couple, like, can you think any other duo, dynamic duos there, Ernest? Well, there's Batman and Robin. That's the ultimate dynamic. That is. If you like oh, uh, tight. I was going to say Butch and Sundance. That's old. Woo. That's old. I still uh, love uh, the movie. Uh, let me see. Gandalf and uh, what was the bad wizard there? The one who turned bad. Christopher Lee. Yeah, well, it wasn't Christopher Lee in the movie. But <laughs> he was the actor who played him. And then the the staying Newman and, and Red Newman and Red. That's Red, old too. You got to come up with something in the twentieth century here, twenty first yeah, century. Twentieth, twenty first century. How, who was? Oh, how 21st about uh, Will Smith and uh, Timothy Lee Jones in Men in Black? That's, well, you had bad boys. You had uh, Will uh, Smith and yeah. Martin Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Were the bad boys? Well, that is that is disconcerting to say the very least. Yeah, no. Yeah, so yeah. we'll get off on any comparisons. We are who we are. Um, so we're going to talk about sports, and this is a great time of year to be a sports fan. I'm sitting in my recliner on a Thursday night watching Houston play, play Tulane, and I'm loving it. I don't care if they're sort of crappy teams. I don't care if the West Virginia coach got fired and took any job he could to go to Houston. I mean, it's just you, fun to watch football, right? You do realize the NFL is on. Well, see the trouble? This is where we get personal now. I have, oh, okay. I have U-verse. And the only channel that AT&T U-verse will not carry, or I don't know if it's some deep-down conspiracy, is they don't have NFL Network. So well, what's getting, on NFL Network We're getting deep in the network. You have Amazon also. Oh, I do have Amazon Prime. Is it on Amazon Prime? Yes, it is. What is All thirty-five games are on Amazon Prime. Oh man, I could turn that. We just did a commercial, and I'm so Bezos is just lining our pockets with money for the free commercial, which is Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Bezos. Do not know owns 
not all Amazon anymore because he just got a divorce, but a large portion of Amazon. He still owns a large uh, portion of it. Yeah, I would say pay off his wife in that respect. But right. yes, the, there are other alternatives for you to watch. So what's on uh, the what's the football game tonight? I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. Titans out of and it. Jaguars. I, so I'm really not missing. Or if anything. I was English, I would say Jaguar. <laughs> you know, Gardner Mishu is, is is the starting quarterback for the Jaguars. is an interesting story because he's bounced around. He played for four colleges, and actually, he was at East East Carolina, and he transferred to Alabama when uh, Ruffin McNeil, who I knew from a childhood, we used to play basketball together. He was fired at East Carolina, and Lincoln Riley left to become the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And he went to uh, Alabama just for spring practice and then transferred to Washington State for the old pirate there to play for him. But now he's doing a pretty good job for the Jaguars as quarterback. Yeah, he is a, a big surprise, but I think he's sort of a folk hero. And I think a lot of the uh, people like a story like that. Here's some guy out of nowhere who potentially could be a starter for a couple of years, maybe? How long do you think he'll last in the NFL? I, I think he's going to be, he's a young version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh. That he'll, he'll play good in September and bounce around when they figure him out after a while. But Ryan uh, Fitzpatrick, how much has he made just being a backup? I mean, he's made a ton of money. He has made somewhere in the excess of about $40 million. There's an excellent book by John Feinstein called Quarterback. Uh-huh in which he follows five quarterbacks, and one of them is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he talks about, because Fitzpatrick this last week set a record for the most teams he's thrown an interception for and the most teams he's thrown a, a touchdown for. He's no longer the starter for the Dolphins. He's been replaced by uh, uh, Rosen now as the starter in that respect. But uh, it is fascinating how at age 35 he's managed to and he's he's got like six kids, so he's he always checks with his family before he moves on. He was the first, I think, Ivy League quarterback to score a touchdown since Jeff Kemp when he was playing. It was Jack Kemp's son, right? I remember that guy, Dartmouth, who went to Dartmouth. Yeah, and, and, and of course, the all-time famous uh, Ivy League quarterback. For those of you who remember Doonesbury, which was a cartoon. A politically <laughs> cartoon. Oh. There was a character in there called BD. BD. My goodness. Brian Dowling, who was backup quarterback. He was the, the famous Harvard Yale. Harvard wins 29 to 29 in 1967. Uh, <laughs> he was the quarterback for them, and he was immortalized in Doonesbury uh, as, as a comic book character. And the Yale guard for that game in 1967 was. Uh, uh, little oh, sorry, old I fell asleep. But the the, okay, the excitement right. of the He's old man trivia excitement. just put okay. me down, man. It's just like, well, uh. All right. The Yale guard, <laughs> okay. offensive guard, was Tommy Lee Jones. Ah, there you go. So we're, we're back to and Al where Gore we started was the roommate, with right? dynamic duos. Yeah. See <laughs> no, how I give, all Everybody the way gets back around, our time because he has the best references that go back before they were born. So that's. So true, but not before I was born. So I get them. Oh. I appreciate it. But right now, Jacksonville is beating Tennessee 13 nothing, And Tennessee looked pretty good, 14 nothing. Um, Tennessee looks pretty good the last final game. score by that time they listen to this podcast. I know, I know. But okay. I'm keeping I it real, I damper your enthusiasm. 
All right, so let's go on to another topic since you're right. They'll be knowing all these scores later. Well, well, can I tell you a strange one, a strange story? Yes, you can. All right, stick with it. This week I went to see the Braves and the Phillies went to uh, uh, the Braves Stadium, uh, uh, Trust Stadium down in Atlanta. Okay, I used to work with a friend of mine, um, and John, you're listening. It's a shout-out to you. And mental health, and one of the jokes about mental health has always been that you've got to have a little bit of a personality disorder to work in mental health. We worked together, John Lewis and I, for seven years. Well, John's quest, because we're all a little obsessive-compulsive, is he is going to visit every state, all 50 states. And he's left with North Dakota and Vermont. My quest, not as noble as his, is to watch all of the big four sports games, teams, in my lifetime. And so far, I've seen all the NHL teams, even some that no longer exist. Sorry, Atlanta Thrashers. Sorry, Quebec Nordiques. I've seen all the I've seen all the NBA teams play in, in live, even UCLA uh, Sonics and, and again Vancouver Grizzlies. I have seen every NFL team play live except the Chiefs. I'm stuck in Major League Baseball, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Pirates. I must finish this quest before I die and see all the big four teams play live. Wow. So did you I'm, see- I'm stunned, Paul. Have you put them back to sleep again? No, no, no. I was thinking about what you're saying and trying to figure out a team that you could not have seen, like the Atlanta Flames, who were a brief cup of coffee NHL team. Did you see them? But, uh, no, but I've seen the Calgary Flames. Oh. Who they are now? See the Montreal Expos wow. and the Nationals. Wow. Okay. Did any of these teams really let you down when you finally saw them? Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few. It's just I'm old. That's it. I mean, this is something you get. I'm like, they're not as noble as going to all fifty states. Or my dad's been to forty countries, and my sister's been to about thirty-five countries. It's not as noble as that. It really truly is the epitome of obsessive compulsiveness. Yeah. But it's it's nice. I mean I've got to see a lot of athletes, a lot of players, and it's it's just nice to, to be able to this um, maybe they'll put that on my if I have a tombstone, which I won't, maybe they'll put that on that. He almost got to see all the teams. Play. Well you're a collector. I, I, I got I gotta to live to two thousand so when the NHL team in Seattle, the Metropolitans or the Kraken or the Thunderbirds, whatever they call them, <laughs> they come right. into play. Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of great teams to still see, and I get your point that it's fun going to different places and to see it and to say I've done it. I've been there. Um, one thing I was going to start with today, and maybe we people have talked about too much, is Antonio Brown. We spent a lot of time in that awesome podcast that we did last week that nobody heard. <laughs> <laughs> but Nike dropped him today, and they said Antonio Brown is not a company athlete. That sounds like the um, almost big brother almost, like, you know, you don't fit our profile anymore, so you're out. Uh, or are they being just politically correct? And I guess I'm leaning that they're being politically correct. All of his shenanigans on Oakland and uh, was not bad enough for Nike to drop him, but the accusation from a young lady is... So it's the day and age we live in. Do you think this was a good move by Nike? Well, it got its publicity, if nothing else. I mean, they, they got all they could out of him. Uh, I mean, there's certain there's certain barriers that you can't cross. 
and Assault is one of them. I mean, that's any any advertising group is going to drop you when you get into Assault, even if it's self-defense. But th- this kind, and then the fact that he actually bragged about this on 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 uh, when he assaulted the young lady, when he actually admitted to it on a text. I mean, I just it's 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 stunning to say the least. And uh, again, it's it's. I don't know. I I, can't, I don't know about his actions, and it seemed like he thought like he made a big influence in the the game against the Dolphins. And to me, the Dolphins would have won that game by the same amount of points if he had never put on a uniform. I still and I still think that we're not going to see him in a Patriots uniform at the end of the year. I, I, I just, the more he becomes a public spectacle, the more Belichick will realize we, we've won without you. How many, we've won five rings without you. We can win five without you. I'm with you. I mean, we don't really need you. Right. And again, yeah. he, his talents aren't that extraordinary anymore. He's, he, he's on a team where he just is not going to, not a difference maker. Right. Yeah. I think he, they tried him out. The best place to try him out was against the, Dolphins. And that brings up another point. I heard on a radio talk show on the way home, they were saying, can we do anything in pro sports to stop the intentional tanking? And I live in Michigan and Detroit Tigers have decided they're not going to hardly even try this year. They're coming with over a hundred losses. And then you look at Miami Dolphins and it looks like they're sort of tanking as well, or just made incredibly bad decisions. But the way I look at it is how could you ever enforce uh, intentional tanking, except for with the payroll, meaning that you have to spend a certain amount, and you, you can't spend too much, but you got to spend at least so much on the other side. This is a tough choice, but I think fans are starting to get really tired with, okay, we're tanking, we're tanking, and five years row we might be good. Um, I think it's bad for sports, and it's bad for the psyche, I think, of the athlete, too, to say, oh, this really doesn't matter, and they're not really invested in our team or not even to give them a chance. So what's your take on that? It worked on Kirkpatrick. He got traded to the Steelers. I mean, players can, there are, again, that's only half the thing is tanking because you got to draft afterwards. You can't be in a situation like the Marlins in which you tank, you win one championship and then you let everybody go and you go through the process again. Uh, you've got to draft. You've got to be smart with your drafting. You've got to bring in the right players. I mean, if you get draft picks, it doesn't do any good if you don't draft the correct players. There are two ways to deal with it. The players on the team, obviously, you know, if we're not going to try and win, trade me. I mean, and players are becoming more vor- verbal about that. They're able to influence and get traded. I mean, it's not the situation that you signed a contract, you have to stay with the team. The other part is the fans. And the fans can vote by... Uh, in most sports, they can stay home, but in pro football, because you have to buy season tickets, that's the majority. There's not a lot they can do. And because most of the capital, most of the, the money the owners get come from the TV contracts right. and, and those things, there's not a lot of play, things that players, I mean, the fans can do. Players have more of a uh, ability to get out of a situation when they're in a, a team that wants to tank. But how many years have the, the Dolphins been tanking? I mean, when were the Dolphins relevant? Well, I mean, that brings up which sports franchise has been suffering the longest. You could say Cleveland has been suffering the longest um, in 
NFL football and baseball, boy, you take your pick. There's a bunch of bad uh, organizations out there that never even get close. Um, so I'm thinking of t- programs that are sort of tough times. Let's talk about the Carolina Panthers for a little bit. You yeah. are a huge fan of your Panthers. Your quarterback yeah. is all banged up. Uh, you have a great you know, running back. Your defense has been solid. Do you have any hope? And at this point, you're just like resigned that it's just going to be a bad year. At this point, it's pretty much resigned to bad year. I mean, I, I think Cam's injured a lot more than it, with the exhibition game against the Patriots than let on. And what worried me at the beginning of the year was they were going to change his throwing motion. Well, that worked out real well for Tim Tebow. I mean, yeah, he, he torqued his body a lot when he threw. It wasn't the standard motion. But when you start tinkering people's motion, that tends to throw the mechanics off. I've seen it happen with batters and pitchers in baseball. Injury develops somewhere else, and he's got an injury in his foot. And he's always been a warrior. He's always showed up to play, no matter how injured he is. And because of his size, he, he it's almost like the situation with Shaq in basketball because Shaq was so large, he got beat up, abused. Uh, he was the big kid. And when you're the big kid, that goes back to elementary school. Big kid gets picked on because you better not do nothing to those little kids. Shaq really got physically beat up. And because of his nature, if he had ever gotten mad, if he had ever done like Jabbar did when Kareem Jabbar decked uh, uh, Benson, for the Pistons all right, these years. I remember that. Or, or when Wilt Chamberlain decided to break uh, Nate Thurman's hand and dunk on him because he was tired of being beat up, there you know, had been a disastrous situation. And Cam gets hit harder than any other quarterback because of his size, they let it go. And I think it's, it's over a period of time, it's just attributed. And I don't know if we'll see the same Cam. And he's at the age 30, then unless your name is Brady or Drew, uh, Drew Brees, that you don't see him recover. And it, it's not just him, it's the NFL. When I watched Big Ben Rossenberger yeah. get hurt, that reminded me of Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw did the same thing, had an elbow injury. People didn't don't realize Bradshaw retired relatively early. He was like 34. And he had that elbow. Now, again, medical science is, is promoted and a lot better. But he never. He came back for one game after that after elbow surgery, and Big Ben's thirty-seven. Ooh, you're I don't know you're saying that Ben, Big Ben, is probably done. Is that what you're saying? I'm, he says he's coming back because he signed an extension, but that sounds good at the heat of injury in that respect. Well, and he can and keep brief, coming back and cash checks, but the reality is, you don't think he's going to be the same quarterback. If you can't throw, you can't cash the check. I guess unless you use your left hand, but <laughs> uh, I mean. I mean, I'm sure he would get some financial settlement. And, of course, every player ever gets injured after the age of 35 says, I'm coming back. You never say, that's it, I'm done. It's the same thing with Breeze, you know, thumb ligament. I know they're talking six weeks. But how does but, Brady stay healthy all these years? Because he's so much protected. I watched the game against Miami, and one time Brady got hit down. I went, oh, my gosh, the Golden Boy's down. I mean, I think Belichick and their offense has really done a super job over the years. Of Brady probably gets less hits per year than over his whole t- last 10 years than, let's say, Matthew Stafford did last year for the Lions. I mean, that's been key to one's successes. So there's little things, I think, that the Patriots do 
that don't show up necessarily right away, but long-term, huge dividends. Well, you know, Raycon McMillan, who's linebacker for the Dolphins, made a claim that when he hit Brady in this last game, the referee says, you can't hit Tom. <laughs> so Did he give him a flag? No. But said, you can't hit Tom. First of all, it's a little upsetting that an official would say that. If it's true, again, we're getting one person's version of the story. But, you know, Brady has been protected. I mean, when he got hit uh, by the Kansas City uh, uh, safety, and I can't remember his called, name right fast, and was out for the season. With that lower leg injury, that's when they instituted the Brady rule, that quarterbacks could not be hit. Right from the lower level. And I grew up at a time, I remember where Turkey Jones for the Browns picked up Bradshaw and lifted him up. Oh, Turkey Jones. Yeah. Defensive end for the Cleveland Browns. He picked up Bradshaw with the shoulder pads and like flipped him over like a rag doll. And you look at some of the shots that Favre got. I mean, Brady is protected. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. And he's, and he's changed the rule book because not only you have, you can't hit a quarterback low. How about the tuck rule? What other quarterback uh, has had two rules changed because of him? Well, three, actually. Footballs have to be inflated now. <laughs> that was too easy. And I if know. we really Thanks wanted to get specific, how about, how about the Patriots? And didn't they have the guy with the snowblower come out and clear a little spot for him? Yeah, that's before Belichick, though. That yeah. was against the Dolphins, and that was uh, Ron Meyer, who uh, was SMU coach. And that was a snow game. The guy came out. Actually, the guy was on work release. He was out of prison for the weekend, took the blower, did it off, and uh, and the kicker went in, and then it was a 3 nothing game in the snow. And then the head of the rules committee, which was who? Don Shula, the head of the Dolphins, made sure that that could never, ever be done again. But again, there was no rule forbidding it, so it wasn't illegal at that time. Right, right. It's like the stick'em. It's like Fred uh, Blitnikoff and the stick'em trying to catch the ball. There was no rule against sticky uh, substances on the... the so there the, may uh, even be some listeners who don't even know what stick'em is. It was just strange to us. But back in the 80s, I would say late 80s, wasn't it? That there oh, yeah. was a guy out in the Raiders, uh, what was Lester Hayes, who used yeah. this heavy, sticky, think of maple, uh, pine tar syrup. And he put all, it all over his hands and his body. And when he rubbed against the wide receivers, they would get sticky on them. And then he thought it would also be helpful if he caught the ball. And they, these days, you can't do that. But you got gloves that practically do the same thing. Well, the gloves started out in the 80s, and they would use scuba diver gloves because they were a little tacky also. And then they outload that. Now they have the regular, like, um, the gloves which with the design of the team inside the palms now. They tend to use that in that respect. Right. But, you know, it's the, the old saying, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And, and that's that's been in sports, believe it or not, before I was walking. I mean, that's you take the advantages that you try to do, and teams still try to do that. Defensive linebackers will try to mimic the quarterback's call, particularly if they're in a shotgun, trying to get the offensive line to jump. Uh Centers will try and squeeze the football a little tighter. Uh, officials start getting better on that and uh, try to draw the defense off sides, get encroachment in that. Quarterbacks will, if they're in a shotgun, will try and widen their hands or they'll right. change the cadence. I mean, that's this is part of sports. I mean, they used to – offensive linemen in the 60s and 70s used to put Vaseline on their shoulders 
So when the uh, defensive lineman would try to grab the top part of the shoulder pad, it would just slip off because he had to get a grip to turn to a swim move, which basically is you try to get your upper arm above the head of the offensive lineman to get behind him to rush the quarterback. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's the same thing with being Brady with the, the, the ball being deflated and Belichick taping uh, the uh, offensive signals from the opposite team, they're not the first guys to do this. This has been going on. Well, the question team- for you then, Ernest, is something that um, Jim Harbaugh was quoted in a recent book up here about you know Michigan football. And he in the book, mostly, he's very positive. He's very optimistic that he can finish the job here in Michigan and make us, <laughs> make us, listen to me, uh, help the team get to be one of the best teams. But he, at one point, they asked him a question about some other programs. He says it's hard to beat the cheaters. And he, who do you think he was talking about? I think he's talking about that uh, Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, and I'm trying to think if you want to add Auburn to that, that there's teams that are pushing it. You know, like you said, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough almost. Do you think that he, those are the schools Harbaugh was talking about. Would you say that, Alabama and Clemson uh, bend the rules regularly to get where they are. First of all, when you start hearing this talk from a head coach, that usually means I'm looking for a way out. (laughs) This is Lane Kiffin at Tennessee, okay? Remember Lane Kiffin complaining about Meyer at Florida and then Saban at Alabama? Yeah. I mean, the NCAA rule book is the size of a New York City phone book. And every team has to have a compliance officer. The coaches themselves, the head coach and the coaching staff, there's no way they know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, you can't, when a kid comes in for a recruitment visit, you can only offer certain types of food. You can't order certain types of pizza. You can't give an alcoholic beverage, even if they're over 18. I mean, the rules are so convoluted. It's, it's like anything else, like new engines in a car. The more complicated it is, the easier it is to break down. And the more complicated the rules are in that respect, you can't, uh, I remember for a period of time, the yearbooks had to be black and white. They couldn't have color in them, the team yearbooks. That's so crazy, isn't it? cheating is a, it's a perceptional type of well, thing. But are you skirting the issue because Saban was everybody, the master of having cheats. soft scholarships for a long can I, time? Can I, can I quote the, uh, the great physician Greg House? Everybody lies, everybody cheats. <laughs> I think cheating is – there's no way that anybody is pristine clean. So what and makes Alabama clean so much better? Is it all recruiting or coaching or what? I think you have uh, uh, what's called unorganized workouts during the summer months that supposedly coaches are not supposed to be within 500 feet, but that's easy to sit into the building or tell players what I want you to work at in these unorganized workouts. I am sure that players, particularly in the big schools with a big following with big fans, are hurting for transportation, food, uh, clothing, whatever they need. I'm sure they can sell the, you know, what was the old uh, scalping trick is you would sell a ticket for the base value, but you sell a pin for like $200. I'm sure they sell their ticket allotment and a pin for a lot more than it's worth. Yeah, it's there's no if if everybody who did not cheat was the only ones left in college football, we'd be watching Ivy League games. 
And that's because they have no scholarships. Well, up I mean, to you. Every, everybody's, I'm sure a lot of people were upset when Harbaugh took the Michigan team to Italy. Yeah. And when he brought him on these uh, off-campus uh, workouts in the South and all the major media areas, which technically was legal, but had a perception of bending the rules. I it's mean, the rules meant like rubber bands. So. And he's not he's not the only one. Every I mean, you're getting paid five to one million dollars a year, you're going to ensure I mean it's it's it it's it's slanted towards the coaches because if a player tries to leave because he only gets one chance to make a an impression to possibly get a pro contract. And if the player a coach says I'm not recruiting another quarterback, recruits another quarterback uh, player can sit out a year and get forgotten, or he can go to the transfer portal and hope for some reason able to play somewhere else where he can show his skills. Yeah. Well, recently up here, the headlines is that there's a lawsuit going on against Michigan State and their head coach, and it, it revolves, evolves around a, a recruit that um, had a bad track record and uh, the head coach, D'Antonio, said we're going to take him anyways despite the – protests of or the comments of the assistant coaches and later on they were asked when there was some sexual abuse issues did they only admit any players that had previous issues and they said no we did not and now it's in a court system and the testimony looks pretty damaging you know that's the point where a coach has a tough decision right like this guy's potential he's a great player and maybe with my great mentoring he can overcome this and we can get him on the team, or you say, "Hey, what we'll roll the dice anyways?" Like, like um, Mississippi did, and just try to do it anyways. Uh, I, I think coaches can believe in their own ability so much that they take players that are risky. And well, we, uh, you know, we all buy into the redemptive ability of sport that you can take the kid on the pathway to 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 doing bad things and you put him in, in competition and you offer him a scholarship. I mean, Cam Newton, let's face Cam Newton's truth. When Cam was at Florida under Urban Meyer, he stole a computer from a classmate. Mm. He was suspended, kicked out of school, went to a junior college. And a lot of people forgot that he was able to go to um, Auburn. Supposedly his daddy sold him to Auburn, but that's another story. He didn't know about it. He went to Auburn, got a Heisman Trophy, became the MVP in the NFL. There are other stories of guys who were on the path to destruction or a life of crime or despair, and they got on the, the sporting field. And coaches have seen this, and they've done it, and maybe they overinflate their ability to redeem people. But I think we all do that. We've all offered to do that for individuals, and we've all had it blown up in their face. And I know D'Antonio is getting uh, you know, one of his assistants – kind of came out today and said he knew of this individual's problems. But coaches tend to, I don't think, I mean, a lot of times people say, well, coaches will take anybody if they can win. And yeah, I'm sure that's true to a certain extent. But a lot of them think that, you know, if I take this kid out of that environment and I put him in a nurturing environment and I have people come in to, to help him academically and we keep a tight rein on him. I mean, Randy Moss is another case. He got kicked out of Florida State for, for smoking marijuana. He had discipline problems at Notre Dame, but he went to Marshall, 
Chad Pennington was his quarterback, and now he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. There's right. many others we can think of, and it's those cases we forget. You know, we 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 try to forget the Lawrence Phillips, who was a thug, and we we try to forget the Andre Hainsworth. Well, folks, the guy Lawrence ahead. Phillips was a running back for Oklahoma, and he had all sorts of problems. And then the LA Rams or the St. Louis Rams gave him a chance, and he still self-destructed. So yeah, who I else mean, were you there, there's about? constant coaches and coaches have. I've coaches usually have examples where they've done this. So I'm not going to beat them up too much because I mean, again, it's, I know it's egotism and we all believe that we have the ability to change people's lives. When in reality, that individual has to make that choice. I can't make someone stop smoking or stop eating or, or stop using illegal drugs or, or stealing, whatever. They've got to make that choice. But coaches think I put you in the right environment. I can, I can change folks. Right. Well, let's talk about a, a player who I'm wondering is if he's in the right environment. He thinks he is. Baker Mayfield has done tons of promotion in the off season. I mean, Progressive made him their poster boy. And he's done magazine covers up the kazoo. And now he's playing. He's off to a slow start. I mean, yes, they beat the Jets, but who can't beat the Jets? The only people who can't beat the Jets are the Dolphins. And so they beat the Jets last Monday night, and Beckham looked brilliant at times. But uh, Joe Thomas, the former offensive lineman for the Browns, who's an analyst now, was saying, you know, Baker, his throws are off a little bit. He doesn't seem to be on time. He looks a little confused. Um, And so the knock on Baker Mayfield is, um, hey, you're not all that great quite yet. And I think it's a con, you know, we have players these days who want to promote their own brand. They want to say, I'm great, and they have a lot of uh, attitude. But, you know, is, are we going too quick, too early with Baker Mayfield? I mean, I don't think we should be anointing him as the next great quarterback quite yet. Uh, what's your take? I don't even think he's the best quarterback in that division right now. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think yeah, the Ravens have had. Jackson has progressed so much since last year. And mature. But again, you know, we're all prisoners of the moment. And we're two games in. And and down here in Carolina, everybody's been moaning, oh, we got an 11% chance of making the playoffs, you're 0-2. Steeler fans that I know are the same thing. Well, Big Ben's gone, playoffs are over. If you lose two games in the middle of the season, you go like, okay, we got to get our act together. But I think we overemphasize the first few weeks. I mean, uh, what was it? Didn't, didn't the, the uh, Patriots a couple years ago start one in three? Was I mean, that the it's, year it's, that they did Brady? No, that, that was Brady was that was uh, that was the year. Yeah, they started off without Brady uh, when they went through Grappolo and and, and Brissett. But again, I mean, we overemphasize that we're prisoners of the moment. The first two weeks, we tend to all this sturm and dang, all this worry and concern. And it's a long season. Things can happen. Quarterbacks get hurt, injuries, those types of things. And, and uh, you know, I'm not going to throw Baker under the, the bus right now. He's just had two games. And, again, I got a call from the Jets to see if my arm was in good shape. That's how bad off it is to that extent. Yeah, I, I thought Josh you know, McCowan retired I, I and saw him playing for the Eagles the other night. Yes. Yeah, he did retire. He uh, made a deal. He is actually the uh, quarterback coach for a uh, – high school here in Charlotte. And when he signed with the Eagles, the deal was that he continued, he could be off Friday, fly down from Philadelphia, 
coach on the sidelines on Fridays, fly back on Saturday, and be the backup quarterback. So, yeah, yeah, he's the McCown brothers will be around. One of them will be quarterbacking in the NFL for the next 25 years. It's just molding on a sideline somewhere. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, again, in extent, that's the lack of quarterbacks. I mean, you've got the, the, the top five or six, but Luke Falk, who bounced around in practice for a long time, winds up being uh, playing for the Jets after some injuries. And, I know. and, and, and David's favorite quarterback, <laughs> Mr. Arnold, I mean, Mono, good gracious, most of us get that when we're seven or eight, 12 years old. Yeah. Which it is serious for adults. I mean, it can lead to yeah. you can lose a spleen. Yeah, and that's not a good thing. All right, let's turn to some prognostication. I don't think I All said right. quite right, but oh, yeah, last week a since we big were big game in your neck of the woods, right? Huh? Big game in your neck yeah. of the woods this week. So we're having a little audio problem. Sorry for that hesitation, folks. But since we were one hundred percent correct last week, we're going to try for eighty percent correct this time. Okay, Ernest. All righty. So I'm going to give you some games and some random games and some good games. You ready? Ready. Number 10, Utah against USC, the future Urban Myers. Yeah, I mean, SC was playing pretty good before they ran in a BYU game. that I actually listened to that while I was floating in the pool last week. Oh, rub it in, rub it in the pool. Rub it in, rub it in. Uh, the turnovers, and again, a freshman quarterback – those of who listen to podcasts know that Utah was my sneak pick. I love the defensive line. I love the quarterback. I love the running back. I still think they're going to win the Pac-12. Or for Nate, Nate, they'll win the Pac-10. Okay, just to make you happy. <laughs> I think they'll be. In the, I think they'll win by ten points over USC. All right, it's at USC, so that's a bold pick. But I think USC, I will win this game. I think Utah is good. Um, their coach came from Connecticut, didn't he? And he went, he's coaching at Utah, and he always seems to get those players up and running. The next game is Air Force against Boise State, which is not a marquee game. It's actually tomorrow night, Friday night at 9 o'clock. But Air Force has enough trickery to win, do you think? Well, they have that flex offense, which is ground-based. And, and them and Army and Navy are pretty much the only ones that do it anymore. Georgia Tech, before the uh, coach left, was the other team to have that type of uh, offense, yeah, triple option, flex offense, very little passing in respect, and it's it's hard for defenses to adjust because they don't see it that much. Now, I love the freshman quarterback for for Boise State. He's he's played real well. They're undefeated, but I think the upset. I think the Falcons will uh, succeed and derail Boise's attempt to be the uh, outside the top five pick to be in the uh, New Year's Day bowls. Wait, I'm, I'm, the audio is breaking up. You're saying Air Force is winning this game? Air Force, yes. Okay, I was, just wanted to confirm Off that. I think Boise State playing at home on that blue field will take care of Air Force. I don't think Air Force has it this year. The big game for Big Ten people is Michigan is playing at Camp Randall in Wisconsin Saturday at noon, which is actually an 11 o'clock start for those Badgers in Wisconsin. They are not too happy about that. And uh, Michigan has underperformed so far this year. Their offense with their new coordinator from Alabama, Gaddis, it just doesn't seem to be working quite yet. But you talk about sample size. You know, the first game, you could tell it was a work in progress against Middle Tennessee State. But then the second game against Army, Michigan to look at 
good at all. But then again, you're playing triple option, and Michigan had three fumbles in that in the first half. That didn't look good at all. Despite all that, my homer tells me Michigan by three. You know, Paul Christ is probably one of the more underrated coaches in, in college football. And every year, and I, I love the way Wisconsin plays. I love that big offensive line. They're committed to the run. Those are big Jonathan, guys up front. Uh, big guys up front. Jonathan Taylor is probably going to be, you know, he's the All-American running back. He ran for 2,000 yards last year. If Michigan stop it, but see, if they can get the running game going, they can chew up the clock, and they can reduce the amount of time that Michigan's offense is on the field. So it's 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 interesting, and I love how Jim Leonard, who's the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, the great job he's done. He lost all of his linebackers from last year, and they have a, a – their defense is a swarming deep. Leonard is, is probably a future head coach or at least a future pro defensive coordinator. And I know this really is an elimination game for the national championship because the team that loses this game is not playing on New Year's Day. They're not going to get a chance at being the, one of the top four. Well, in the Big Ten, I think it's all about winning the Big Ten first. And if you have one loss early in the season, that doesn't wipe out the Big Ten because you're playing in two different divisions. But you're talking a Big Ten team with one loss is not going to make the playoffs. I think it's too early for that yet. I mean, look at last year. I mean, Last year, Ohio State did not go in, and they have one loss. Yeah. But there's nobody going undefeated anymore in in college football. I mean – it used to be that one team would go undefeated like Alabama, and they're automatically in. Um, this year, I don't know if we'll have any teams undefeated going into the playoffs. But moving on, moving on. Let's you think leave, someone can beat Clemson? Yeah. Let's leave the cold north and go down to the warm south. And Tennessee. Okay. That, we that didn't famous, pick. We didn't pick. Get back I, to the – I picked Michigan. What did you pick? I picked Wisconsin. Okay, all right. Go Badgers. All right. I – I I, I think I can't hear you anymore, Ernest. I think you just cut oh, out. I think you're sorry. done for the rest of the podcast. Oh, am I? No, I'm just teasing. Okay. Listen, I'm I think against Clemson's Michigan, going you know, undefeated. That I think Alabama's going undefeated. And I think Oklahoma's going undefeated. Ooh, nice. Nice. I, I don't see anybody leading with Clemson. LSU is the only team that I think – can be Alabama, maybe Georgia, but I think it's it's become a mental thing with Georgia if they get the SEC championship. But I don't think anybody's going to hang so with Jalen Hurts. Three Oklahoma. undefeated teams: Clemson, Alabama, Very, and Oklahoma. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the the problem was hurt the Big Ten, and it's Ohio State. If Ohio State had lost to a Wisconsin the last two years, or to a Michigan. I think they would have made the Final Four. But the fact that they lost to mediocre teams in Iowa and in Purdue and got beat so badly. I know they're not supposed to look at the point spread when they make the decision. But when you get beat, even if you're on the road by those types of teams, that eliminates it. So I think the Big Ten, and I don't know what the perception is because I think depth-wise, it's probably the most competitive of, of the Big Five. But I think if you lose one on the road in the Big Ten, you're pretty much eliminated from national championship. And I don't know if the Rose Bowl hurts in that respect because I wonder if people at the national level think, 
Well, they've always got the Rose Bowl, and to the, to the Big Ten, the Rose Bowl is more important than the national no, championship, no, which no. is ridiculous. Right. But, but do you think that perception kind of fits into the national media to a certain extent that, that that's a pretty good consolation prize getting to the Rose Bowl? I, I think it's a decent consolation prize, but I think Big Ten's tired of consolation prizes. And I think Big Ten is tired of always being second to the SEC. Um, and that's where the cheater mentality comes out, like that the SEC um, has soft scholarships. They practice when they're not supposed to. They have boosters paying for people they're not supposed to pay for. There's a lot of stuff going on. That's like in the whole culture in the South that football is such – a bigger favorite than basketball, the football gets all the resources and all the sketchy things going on. While up in the Big Ten, basketball is still pretty big. Not always the biggest one on every campus, but still pretty big. So, Is it, is it just the South, or is it Columbus in the South? <laughs> the Columbus is south of here, so that fits for me. Let's here, go here's, to- the reason, here's the reason why that stuff never comes to light is because everyone has skeletons in the closet and coaches are afraid because I don't think coaches are aware of what boosters are doing. Coaches don't know what's going on. They, they can't don't want watch. To know. They can't watch 80 kids 24 seven. No way. 365. So I think the big fear of why names are not named and teams, I mean, why Harbaugh does not say a specific school. And I think any coach would do it in the same situation is if you do name someone, they're going to be able to come back and say, oh, yeah, yeah. You don't know that Booster X is giving your player a car or whatever. When the, the there's Everybody has so many skeletons clause. And, again, there's no way you can – a CEO of a multimillion-dollar organization, and that's what college football is. Don't kid yourself. There's don't no way myself. to see – Don't kid yourself. This is a business thing. These CEOs, <laughs> coaches – there's no way you can micromanage and know everything that's going All right, on. So I'm not kidded by the lack of, I mean, that there's cheating going on. I think that the part that people like to have is an even playing field. And it's impossible to ever have. It's never going to happen. And I agree with you. All that being said, let's do some more picks here before we okay. get too crazy about life is not fair. So really? Sport. Yeah, I mean. Wow. So, some you of us should put that on the board somewhere. Some of us are not devastatingly handsome like myself, and they don't have that advantage. <laughs> hey, or, on, on podcasts, you can be as handsome are. as you want to be, man. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, oh, let's do a little chase a rabbit here. So right. I was told that our generation is the, the generation of sarcasm because of the comedians we watched no. and, and people like that. Now, i got to believe sarcasm has been around a long time, but um, – we have a little fun with that. Earlier, my wife had a little fun with sarcasm with our son. Do, do you think our generation is really the generation of sarcasm? You know, you can go back to the book of Acts. And <laughs> there was like, Let's go the, biblical. The book of Acts, I'll go biblical on it. In the book of Acts, there's a, and you maybe know the story better than I do, there were some false prophets trying to cast out demons. And the demon said, I know who Jesus is, and I know who the, this Paul is. I don't know who you are. So demons were sarcastic in the first century. So sarcasm is not that new. Okay? Or talking smack? I would call that smack. Uh, talking smack and sarcasm. So No, I, sarcasm goes back. My, Mark Twain, Mark Twain did it. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin did it. I mean, that's just a lack of literary, literary knowledge is what that is. 
So yeah. no, okay, I mean, all right. Canadian, so yeah, Will Rogers was sarcastic in the twenties. Okay. Yeah, that's a new reference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm appealing to our octogenarians. <laughs> Let's reference somebody that was alive in 1820. Okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> all Give right, the next post. pick is uh, number eight Auburn against number 17 Texas A&M. Who Texas A&M, yeah, Texas A&M best running backs out for the year. Uh, their defense is a little green. I'm really impressed with Nick's at quarterback for Auburn. And uh, I will have to go. And I love that defensive line. I like Brown and the defensive line for Auburn. So, yeah, uh, Tigers over the Aggies. Yeah, they're playing at home. I don't see that as much of a game. All right, the next game is interesting just because Stanford has had a rotten year so far. And I think their coach is too good for that, Shaw. So they're playing number 16, Oregon, in or at Stanford. And I don't know if the band will be on the field to help Stanford or not. But who do you got? That was a Cal game. That was Stanford Cal. I know, but oh, it was Stanford. And I was actually alive was at that time. Was the Stanford band or was it the it Cal was a Stanford band? band, which has been banned for so many games. Uh, I like Oregon. I like the quarterback, and I, I think they're finally getting their their act together in that respect. I, I know they lost uh, early against Auburn, but all their wide receivers were out. They were playing third stringers. This Stanford team is, is just not the quarterback, Costello being out. It's, it's the whole team. It's just it's, it's, The defense is not as solid as it's been in the past, so I right. go with the Ducks. All right, we've got a couple more games that are interesting games. This game is interesting because what happened last year, Old Dominion beat West Virginia last year, and now they're going to play Virginia this Saturday. And Virginia is number 21 in the nation. They just beat uh, Tennessee. Does Old Dominion, can they do two years in a row of upsets? Do you have no. any clue about Old Dominion? Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, uh, he's one of the court, the, uh, they're in the, I'm going to say what the conference was, Conference USA. Uh, I've seen him play a little bit. Carolina's played him quite a bit in the last four or five years, but Bryce Perkins is the quarterback for Virginia. Is a double, is a dual option. He can pass, he can run the ball. They have two NFL-ready cornerbacks to the defensive backfield for Virginia. Virginia is possibly can be playing for the ACC championship. They'll be the slaughter lamb for Clemson to beat by <laughs> three touchdowns. So th- this is this won't even be close. This will be a 20-point win for the Cavaliers. Okay, they're playing at home. Next game is Oklahoma State against Texas at Texas. Texas has been looking pretty good. The quarterback seems to have enough swagger to pull it off. Oklahoma State is not playing that good. Barry Sanders is not going to come running out of that locker room. I think Texas will handle them pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I watched Oklahoma State play Oregon State, which is a horrible team. And for a long period of time, that was a fairly close game. Sam Ellinger is is not an elite-level quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. And even though they had some injuries also, I think Texas will win by two touchdowns. And the final game that we're going to talk about is Notre Dame at Georgia. Now, this is an interesting matchup because Georgia has been so close the last several years of, you know, knocking off the big guns and and finally claiming a national championship. But they lost a bunch of players to the pros. They haven't looked quite as good this year. And Notre Dame is an interesting team if their players can all get together on the same night. But this is still early in the season, and it's at between the hedges. So I'm picking Georgia by 10 on this one. 
Yeah, Ian Book has pretty good passing uh, medium distance, but his long throwing is not as accurate. And he's got pretty good tight end in that respect, but the running attack for Georgia. Now, Georgia's lost most of their linebackers, but you've got an All-American quarterback. I, I like Georgia. I think this is at least a touchdown win. Uh, and the interesting thing is, going back to a previous discussion, Notre Dame could lose this game and still, because they're outside of a conference, still be in that Final Four. They're able to beat Michigan. And I think Stanford's not going to be, we, at the beginning of the year, we thought st- them going to the last game of the season to go play Stanford. And Stanford was a big game. Now we know Stanford's not that good. But Notre Dame has that that aura and, and that following the national level that Notre Dame could lose one game and still be in the championship. Uh, it's, it's different than conference teams. And I think if you look schedule-wise, Notre Dame does not play as tough a schedule as Michigan does, or Ohio State, or Wisconsin for that matter. Yeah, they don't. And it's not fair, I tell you. It's not fair. No, anyways, it's, it is what it is. That's and, for you, Nate. That's for you. Yeah, Nate, one of our regular co-hosts who can't join us, uh, would appreciate He's a big Notre Dame fan. All right, Ernest, we're running out of time quickly, believe it or not. So what are you going to be watching that I would not expect this weekend? Uh, probably preseason hockey. No, man, no. That's horrible. Intervention uh, time. Intervention yeah, time. I know. I'll, I'll be watching Carolina and Appalachian State. Uh, we decided not to wake up to Wake Forest to the fourth quarter. But Max still, again, we've already won as many games as we did all, all of last year. Uh, you know, USA basketball went down pretty much like I said it was. I'll watch a little Canadian football. I'll watch the NFL. And I'll watch the last week of Major League Baseball. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., who is the center fielder for the Braves, set a record today. He is one of three players, under 21 or younger, to hit 40 home runs. And if he steals three more bases, he'll be the fourth 40-40 player all time. And again, he's only 21 years old. And I've had the pleasure, since I am a Braves fan, and watch Braves games him while playing all year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you follow a team all year and they get the playoffs and they lose in three games and the season's over. But you tend to enjoy the regular season. And the way that uh, my Hornets have been playing and my Tar Heels have lately and uh, the Hurricanes of the last few years, it's been nice to watch. Now, the Braves didn't really have to tank. They did a great job in drafting an international pitch. You talk about tanking. And they got Ozzy Avila's and Sean Newcomb, and they made some great trades. Drew uh, uh, the shortstop we got from Arizona for Sean Miller and Ronald Kuna. And that's the whole trick. Tanking sounds nice, and it's a way you can sell it to your fans. But mm-hmm. unless you do the second part and you draft real well, I mean, the Tigers picked up a nice pitcher from uh, Vanderbilt with the number one draft pick yeah. last year. But you got to do more than that. But they got to protect and, them. You can't throw yeah. too and early. They put them on ice early in the season. But anyway, so what? So a lot of different sports. I was hoping you were not going to say preseason hockey. I saw that that was on already. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, no, Ernest, Ernest, don't do that. Um, any um, movies that you're looking forward to? Uh, Ad Astra, which has gotten some nice reviews, uh, which is. A lot of people are comparing to Interstellar, which I loved, which is a, 
a Christopher Nolan movie and a lot of people to Apocalypse Now, which was uh, Francis Ford Coppola, which was a big movie in the 70s, which I love, which was based on a, a uh, Joseph Conrad book, The Heart of Darkness. And who doesn't and like Brad Pitt? He's one of these guys that you just can't dislike. I mean, you, you, he's just so likable. Like I have Tom Hanks on my top of list of you just likable actors. And Brad Pitt is like right below it because he just seems so honest. And I feel like he got a raw deal out of the whole thing with and Jolie or what's her name. I think that was. Andrew Jolie. Yeah. I he think that he was, has that Robert Redford quality. Stunningly good looking, and usually men like yourself and me are jealous of pretty boys. But he has shown himself in his acting choices, and you know, he does. I love 12 Monkeys, I love Fight Club. I mean, he has taken risks in movies. Seven is one of the most underrated movies, yeah. Of all the time. Benjamin Button movie was interesting, too. I mean, he takes chances. The uh, assassination of Jesse James, I mean, he, he's done this, the uh, World War Z. He, he's always he's done comedy. He's done action. He's played the bad guy, which is what he did in Fight Club. Uh, he has that Robert Redford quality, even though that he's stunningly attractive. We don't view him as a pretty boy. Or right, you I don't mean, have to say stunning attractive anymore, Ernest. Okay, okay, okay we get the point. Clooney. Clooney does that too, <laughs> and we got to wrap it up Clooney, because our time Clooney, is I'm gone. Ernest, no more thanks a lot. Project. We did a great job tonight. Too bad they couldn't hear our awesome job last week. But thanks for listening to Pardon the Confusion. We appreciate all your comments that you send us at contact at greatamericanman.org. Listen to our other podcasts on there as well. And for Ernest Watts, I bid you a fair goodbye.